Draw you back to your seats. This morning our series on the mothers of Jesus will continue uh, the story of Judah and Tamar, focusing primarily on Tamar. The Mothers of Jesus is a series that is inspired by Matthew's genealogy in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It is a uh, compilation of, of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so the book of Matthew begins by describing Jesus' genealogy. And in this genealogy, um, it describes the different fathers of Jesus. But interestingly enough, there are three mothers of Jesus mentioned in Matthew's genealogy. If you were to do it historically, it would begin with Tamar, and then Tamar would then be followed by Rahab, and then Rahab would then be followed by the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, who was Bathsheba. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Tamar. And uh, let me just say this. This would be a rated R movie in uh, Hollywood. This is an interesting story. This is an eyebrow-raising story. It is also a long story, which is the reason why it's not printed in your bulletin. And that's okay. I encourage you to get your Bibles, to bring your Bibles, or to use the, your phones and follow along as we read through that. If you don't, it's just a story. And so you can sit and listen to the story. Uh, the Jews of old and the Christians of old didn't have the Bible readily available. They just listened to stories being told. And so you can sit there and listen to this story. But if you have a Bible, follow along. Genesis 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her and she conceived and bore a son. And he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. And raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die just like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. 
And when Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, Well, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She said, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hands, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the cult prostitute who was at Anaim at the roadside? And they said, No cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, No cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out, and let her be burned. She was being brought out. She sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please, Identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, the brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez, which means breach. Afterward his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. I'm a huge fan of good novels and stories. My favorite kind of novel, just to kill time, is the Jack Reacher novels. I despise the movies. They're terrible. Tom Cruise is the opposite of Jack Reacher in the books. Jack Reacher, I've, I've said before, is best d- depicted by Liam Neeson, not Tom Cruise. Liam Neeson's like 6'5", 240, strong and buff. Tom Cruise is like 5'6", 140 pounds. He's whiny and wheezy. Jack Reacher is bad to the bone. You don't mess with Jack Reacher. I love the Jack Reacher novels, though, because like most novels that are well-received, they're good stories. They hold your attention. They've got great characters. There's twists and there's turns. There's plots. And by the end of it, it's all like exploding and Jack Reacher's coming out on top and you're just going, oh my goodness, what a story. Sometimes the best Reacher novels are the ones, though, where the character you didn't expect to be the villain is actually the villain. And you know these stories. 
the great show 24 years ago had always a character like this. The person that was initially working on it at the beginning ends up being the one working against it in the end. It's things like this, the twists, the turns, the characters, the storylines, and the plots that literally just capture our imagination. And we end up going, what a story. I mean, I just loved every minute of that. Let's do it again. Unfortunately, many of us don't think of the story of God's redemption in the same way we see these movies and stories that we love so much. The Reachers, the 24s, whatever it might be. But the truth of the matter is this, that God's redemption is a story that is filled with some of the most fascinating characters that you could ever imagine or dream of. It's filled with twists and turns and you're thinking, there's no way, absolutely no way God could bring redemption from sin and death and Satan from these types of characters. But yet, this is exactly what God does. Mike is hot. <laughs> God uses characters, broken, despicable, sinful characters, to bring about His redemption. As we consider the three mothers of Jesus in the genealogy of Matthew, this is the story of these women. These women are not saints in the technical sense. They would make Mother Teresa blush. But yet, yet, these three women demonstrated something that God aligned Himself with. That God says, there's one definable characteristic about my family. And it's not necessarily good works. It's not necessarily you know, being saint like Mother Teresa. Or always serving the poor. There's one definable characteristic. And that characteristic is faith. In the story of Tamar and Judah, as wild and as weird and as... I mean, just Frank, out of this world, this story is, there are three essential qualities of Tamar's faith that we're going to look at today. If we were to kind of put a, 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 a bow on this or try to figure out how is this going to apply to me, this is how I want you to think about it. That, that God aligns Himself with broken and despised and despicable people. People who, who do what is often unspeakable, but God aligns Himself not because of what they've done or not done, but because of their trust in Him. And it's for you too. I mean, you could be sitting here going, there's no way God would align Himself with me. There's no way that God could use me in the midst of His great redemption in this world. I'm too broken. I'm too dumb. I'm too sinful. I've done too much. And my, what I want to remind you today is that don't let those things get in the way. God uses His family who is filled with faith. So we're going to look at the three essential qualities of Tamar's faith from this story. The first essential quality that we're going to see of Tamar's faith is that her faith is a faith that endures. It is a faith that endures. The first five verses of Genesis 38 set the stage for Tamar. 
It describes a prominent man of the Old Testament named Judah, a son of Jacob, a great-grandson of Abraham, leaving his family and moving back into the land of his ancestors, the Canaanites. In truth, this is a big no-no. But nevertheless, it is there that he meets a woman named Shua, or, or a, a daughter of the man named Shua, and they marry him three boys, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. At verse 6, finally Tamar enters the screen when Judah procures her for his oldest son Ur in marriage. Now we don't know how long this marriage lasts. The text just describes Ur as being a wicked man in the sight of the Lord and that the Lord put him to death and they didn't have any kids. Most scholars believe Ur to be around the age of 18 and since Ur and Tamar weren't able to conceive, it's probably wise to assume the marriage didn't last all that long. And as is common in the ancient world, a widow is yet to conceive a child would have the option to become the wife of her deceased husband brother. As in this case with Tamar, she chose to remain in the family so that Onan would become her new husband. And this is the transaction which the Jews called the Leverite Laws. And so this is what happened to Tamar. She begins her second marriage with Onan. And just like her first husband, Onan is evil. Yet unlike Ur, we find out that Onan fails to obey his father's request to help Tamar conceive and thus perpetuate the family name, particularly Ur's. He said this, I'm not going to do this because those kids would be his and not mine. And so he failed to submit to the Leverite laws and decided he would just use Tamar for sexual pleasure. And like his brother, the Bible says that this too led to his untimely death. So Tamar has been through two weddings, two funerals, and she has yet to conceive. Well, thankfully, Judah had one last son, Shelah. But Judah, worrying, and it says that he feared her, tells her, you know what? Why don't you go live with your dad until Shelah is of age? He he failed to see the truth of who Ur and Onan was. Judah thought that Tamar was the problem. The problem was actually Ur and Onan. And so he did not fulfill the very thing that God and the practices of that society allowed. And he just sent her back to the house. And so for you, I want you to consider for a moment what it would be like to be Tamar in this situation. You give up your family. Well, in this day and age, your family gives you up in marriage. And so you are adopted into this new family. And her, she's given in marriage to her. And most likely she's a teenager. Maybe 15, 16 years old. And she's moving into a family that's from a different place. She might speak differently. One thing we know is that this family worshipped a different God. Yahweh. And so she had to adopt these practices that she didn't know. And we don't know what Ur did, but if he was an evil man, my guess is he was evil to her. What a difficult marriage, even if it was short, for this young girl. When he died, which, who knows what, what was going through her mind, she could have said, I'm out. But she says, no. I'm going to stick with this family. I'm going to stick with this God. And I'm going to be given in marriage to Onan. And once again, Onan abuses her, uses her, and treats her poorly. She doesn't conceive with him. 
So then she turns to her father-in-law. Alright, help me out. You're, you're kind of my new dad. Help me out. No, you go back to your dad. He, he, he doesn't even trust her. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. Do you want to stay with this family? Do you want to stay with this family? A family who doesn't really want you to be around? Uh, do you want to stay with this God who, who, who when you've connected to Him, the husbands that you've been given have died? Do you want to endure this hardship time and time and time again? Do you want to do that, Tamar? And of course, Tamar says, I do want to do that. I'm sticking with this family Despite its sins, despite its failures, despite its abuse of me, I'm sticking with this family. Her faith is seen in her enduring the many hardships that she had with her family. We all have to endure. We all have to take faith regardless of of whatever we do. A doctor has to endure the difficult hardships of medical school and residency and specialists. You have to endure. You have to have the faith to do it and to endure because you know that on the other side you will be able to help people. The best athletes endure the difficult training regimens that they go through, the setbacks, the physical therapies, the moments of education, all for the goal of winning the prize, of winning the game. They endure. And it is the same for us in the church. Like Tamar, our faith must endure. A faith that often encounters incredibly difficult circumstances. We can experience, especially in our church, a small church, trials in our church. We've had this. Many of, the, many of you have had conversations with me about some of the difficulties that, that can be encountered in church. And, and you have to endure and you have to continue to press on and to place faith in me and in God who is leading our church. It's hard. There's hardships. But the faith of Tamar, this faith that endures hardship, is a faith that Jesus aligns Himself How about faith in God amidst your hardships and your trials that you experience day to day, whether that be in your relationships or in your jobs? Do you give up on God when the job that you're longing for doesn't come? Do you give up on God and His promises when your relationships aren't working out? The boyfriend you wanted, the girlfriend you wanted, The the husband who's fleeing from you. The the wife who's fleeing from you. Are you trusting God in the midst of these very difficult circumstances? It It is relevant today and people are leaving the church because they don't have a faith that endures because the truth of it is the faith that they've embraced is a faith not in God but a faith in themselves which includes God because God is this some sort of Santa Claus that helps me get this job or this woman. Or this man. What I love about Tamar is that she has a faith that endures all of these hardships. 
She didn't tap out, and she had every reason to tap out. And I don't understand why she stayed faithful to this family, but she did. And it brought about great blessings. Endurance is an essential quality to our faith. The book of Hebrews speaks of this. And it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. But listen to what, how the, the, the writer of Hebrews describes the endurance of faith. For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might raise again to better life. But others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering around in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. My friends, all I can say is that we as Christians are going to experience hardships and trials and setbacks, but we must endure in our faith of God. We must endure like Tamar. It is an essential quality of faith. So we see that Tamar demonstrates the essential quality of endurance. But secondly, we see that Tamar demonstrates a faith that acts. That acts. A-C-T-S. Tamar was certainly unsatisfied with the way that Judah had treated her. And so she sees an opportunity when Judah's wife dies. She makes this quick, wise, and risky plan to continue the family line that had been promised to her when she was given in marriage to her. And so during the time of sheep shearing, which was a very festive season for this culture, Tamar removes her widow clothing, taking a veil to her face and sitting at the gates of the city, indicating to all passing by that she is a prostitute. Judah, on his way to those festivities, notices her. But he doesn't know it's her. And so he inquires of her services and has a short exchange with her as to payment for her services. The result is that Tamar gets a staff, a signet, and a cord as a pledge to eventually receive a goat. And so then after this, he goes into her and she conceives by him. Of course, when Judah returns home... He sends a friend with the goat to the cult prostitute who sat at these gates. And the friend quickly realizes from the people that sit at the gate that there is no such prostitute that exists. And Judah just throws his hands up saying she can keep the stuff so that he doesn't be seen as a laughingstock to those who know it. This would be like the equivalent of leaving your driver's license at a brothel. Just leave it there. I don't want to be seen. Going to get that. Well, three months later after this story, it is reported to Judah that Tamar has been immoral. 
and that she is now pregnant, even though she's not been she's been betrothed to Sheila, Judah's youngest son. At this, Judah is enraged. I mean, you can feel it from what he says. He says, "Bring her to me. Let her be burned." He's frustrated. Unfortunately, he cannot see the hypocrisy of his actions. Truth be told, Judah was a rebellious and foolish man. And the whole point of Genesis 38 is really to show you how Judah has been transformed from a foolish man to a faithful man. Nevertheless, Tamar is brought to Judah. And you can imagine her being dragged to him that she's got this mic. And she says into this mic, By the man... To whom these belong, I am pregnant. Please identify who they are. This signet, cord, and staff. And she takes that mic and drops it at Judah's feet. It's a pretty sweet moment in Genesis 38. And Judah identifies them and truth be told was cut deep, deep to his heart. The better translation rather than what I read of what he says in response to her statement is she is righteous, not I. She is righteous, not I. For I did not give my son, Sheila, to her. I mean, I want you to put yourself once again in the shoes of Tamar. She's been pushed away by her family even while being faithful to them. And so in this faithfulness, she acts and makes a decision to to do this crazy plan, to dress up as a prostitute and to continue the family line. I mean, would you, being in her shoes, do something similar? Would you act in such a way in faithfulness to to what has been told to you in bringing about the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Would you act in a similar way? I don't know if you would, but this beautiful act of faith that did led one scholar to say Tamar is a hero in Israel because she risked her life for her family fidelity. What Israel was or what Judah was failing to do, she was. She acted on her faith. It was Tamar's act of faith that ultimately led to the transformation of Judah. Of course, when he saw what she did, His heart finally softened and he realized for the first time in this entire book of Genesis that he himself was not righteous. It was her act of faith that changed this man. There are two great pastoral pleas that I'd like to make with you this morning based off of Tamar's action and seeing what happened to Judah. And the first pastoral plea that I want to make to you is to be like Tamar. Act on God's promises to you. Be like Tamar. Jesus has said to us, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. But are you following after Jesus and finding the life that He says He will give? Or are you following your ways? Paul has said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Are you choosing to identify yourself on what you do or what you don't do 
Or are you choosing to identify and to trust who God says of you that you have been crucified with Christ? Be like Tamar. Act on who God says of you. We often fail, though, to trust Jesus as His Word. We often fail to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We so often work out our happiness and our peace and our dreams according to ourselves. We're more like Judah often than Tamar. But Christian, let me tell you, we must act like Tamar. We must act on the promises that have been given to us. Indeed, it is James who said, it is a faith without works that is dead. If you don't trust, but don't act, you don't trust. So how can you be like Tamar here? Well, I think, number one, will you commit yourself to this church? We saw that in the people who came forward and took their membership vows. This is not a perfect church. It's not a family that is not going to hurt you. You've been wounded by people. I've been wounded by people. It's not a perfect place. But there's a vow. Do you promise to keep the purity and the peace of the church? There are ways in which we can be like Tamar. We follow Jesus' ways when we are hurt. We go to that person. If the person doesn't listen to us, We go with another person. If that doesn't, we bring the elders. There's a way in which we act and we're like Tamar, following the way of Jesus and trusting the way of Jesus rather than ourselves. And so in our church, we go to one another. We come to each other and we act like Tamar, boldly, courageously. So my friends, be like Tamar. But there's a second pastoral plea based off of the acts of Tamar and that is to be like Judah. To be like Judah. Now why would anyone want to be Judah in this story? Well, like I said, we are often so prone to hypocrisy. We say we're followers of God, but in truth we follow our own ways. This is so often the case in our lives. But like Judah, we must see someone who has acted in great faith, taking great risk upon themselves, literally being willing to die, demonstrating an act of faith for us. Indeed, in Christ, we have someone like Tamar who acted with great risk, coming to earth, taking on flesh, and giving his life for his own family fidelity who then mic drops it for us. Look at what I've done for you. Boom, the mic drops, hits at us. And here we are. You have been faithful, O Lord. You are the only one that has pursued the way. I am like Judah. And to be like Judah, we must say, He is righteous and not I. What is the great moment of transformation in Judah's life? It is the act of Tamar's faith. What is the great transformation of a Christian's life? It is the act of Christ's faith. I don't want to go to death, but not what I will, Lord, but what You will, Jesus says. And in great faith, Jesus acts. So my friends, be like Judah. When you see beautiful acts of faith, like Jesus did for you, simply confess. Confess. 
He is righteous and not I. This must be honestly a continual daily task that we do. He is righteous, not I. When we daily confess our sins, we are saying He is righteous and not I. So we've seen this beautiful act of faith of Tamar. And I want to encourage you to be like Tamar, but also to be like Judah, whose acts transformed. Tamar is in the family of God because of her faith. A faith that endures and a faith that acts. But lastly, her faith is a faith that demonstrates the essential quality of receiving blessing. Indeed, our faith and the faith of Tamar is a faith that receives blessing. Following this mic drop moment that Judah is transformed, he relents from his desire to have Tamar burn. And eventually she gives birth to twin boys, Perez and Zerah. Having twins in this day and age was seen as such a blessing, but I want you to consider the significance of the twins in the lieu of this story that had just played out. How many sons did Judah lose in the story? Two. How many husbands did Tamar go through and not conceive? Two. And yet in this moment of Tamar's faith, acting on the promises of God to her through her family, how many sons did God bless her with? Two. It is no coincidence that this is the case. One scholar contends the twins were a gift from God to Tamar to compensate her for the lack of children from her two husbands as well as a sign to Judah who lost two sons due to their wickedness that his sins are forgiven and a new day is dawning under God's favor. Because of her faith, God brought blessings to Tamar and to Judah in tremendous ways. Indeed, one of the essential qualities of faith is that our faith will eventually bring blessings from God. We must not forget that in the end of our days, the faith that endures and the faith that acts ultimately ends in blessing. As the Christmas song, Joy to the World, reminds us, He comes to make His blessings flow, for as the curse is found. Like Tamar, we who are faithful are promised to receive incredible blessings. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes or has faith, what? shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Those who have faith are blessed by God. David himself said, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. We will be made like Him. We will be with Him forever. We will be in a place where all things are made new. What a blessing it is that is coming. Indeed, we can 
place our faith in God because He is faithful to bless His people. He is always faithful. And it might not come just in the future. It might come now. Whatever. But God loves to bless His people. And because He loves to bless us, we can place our faith in Him. You know, even when it's difficult in marriage, God will eventually bring blessings to you. And sometimes it might look different than you imagine. When it's difficult with your finances, God will promise to bring blessing to you, but sometimes it looks different than what you imagine. When it's difficult with your body, as you fight with its health and, and strength, as I have done, God will bring blessings, but sometimes it looks different than you can imagine. Our God is a God who blesses the faithful. And we can rest assured that indeed we will receive His many blessings. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heart. Our God is a God who blesses the faithful. And so in the midst of blessings, I have three, just, or just two basic encouragements. First, give thanks. Give thanks for the blessings that you received in this life. Give thanks for the salvation He's brought through Christ that you are now seated with Him on high. Give thanks for the ways that He provided for you in family. Give thanks for the ways that He's provided for you with finances. Give thanks to Him for the way that He's provided putting food on your table. Give thanks. Give thanks. He blesses His people. Let not a day go by that you have clothes on your, your shoulders, a roof over your head, where you give thanks to God for the blessings that He's poured out to you. Give thanks. He loves to bless His people. But I also commend you to be patient. Be patient in the blessings that are to come. As you are patient, let me remind you and let me commend you to cling to the promises of God. As I read in Hebrews, those individuals endured and they didn't experience the promises that were to come. But they based their faith on the promises of God that they seen. And it is the same for you. Blessings might not be in your world right now, but blessings are to come. And sometimes, you just got to be patient. Patience is an endurance. Our Lord has been faithful to fulfill His promises. Our Lord will indeed fulfill His promise to bring blessing to the faithful. Let me, let me ask you one last question. Do you have the essential characteristic of a family member of God? Do you have faith? You see, it is faith. A faith that endures a faith that acts, and a faith that received blessing that God is able to use to write an incredible redemptive story. You know, there's not one person in your neighborhood, your community, or your work that is out of the reach of God's redemptive purposes. And you being broken, sinful, running from God, he is able to use to bring redemption in the life of those people. This is the story of Tamar. 
My hope is this is a story of us all. Let me pray. Indeed, Lord, we, we cling to the promises that You are making all things new. We cling to the promises that You will come again. For indeed, these are the promises that You have commended to us. Promises that we are to hold on to. That we might indeed have a faith that endures hardship and trials and tribulations. Let us be a people that are holding to these promises work out our faith in fear and trembling. Let us not look to what we do or what we don't do to identify. Let us not look to, what, to, to the perfect church. Let us look to You that we might act accordingly through faith. And Lord, we, we do look forward to the day where we will receive great blessings from Your hand. Amen.